What's happening, guys? Happy Friday, and thank you for joining another special episode of Your Welcome. So there's a rumor going around that Nate Diaz is being talked to about a fight, okay? The story goes like this. Nate is being talked to about a fight. The fight that he's being talked to is at 155 pounds that should he win puts him in a very good position to contend at 155 pounds. In addition to the story, it was speculated that Nate will fight two times this year. I don't know if that means he's got to win one and then he goes to this alleged title fight or even if he loses, he's got something else to do. I'm not really sure where that goes. Fun rumor, fun to talk about, and fun to try to guess a few things here. First off, if Nate comes back, do you see him at 155? And if the information that we're speculating about is true, which is that he could come in and be one fight away from a title fight, then it's got to be a meaningful opponent. So I snoop around a little bit and I look into who that opponent could be. My sources are telling me Figueredo is the guy. And I'm a little light on that idea. Now, I would believe the idea because of the way Nate's mind works. Nate is going to want a guy coming off a win. He's going to want a guy that's red hot. For reasons unknown, that's that's what Nate likes. And if you try to tell Nate, well, you lost your last fight, so we're going to bring you a guy who also lost his last that you're going to lose Nate's attention. It's just, just the way Nate works, you're going to lose his attention. And if you look at the pieces that are on the board right now, and even though we've heard the rumor of Gaethje versus is Oliveira with Oliveira's side pushing back rumors that I'm hearing again they're just that by the way I don't like have some magical source I made a couple of calls who do you think it's and they said from what they understand they believe that the talk of Nate and Figueredo are going to come together okay I'll buy that for the point of conversation for the simple point that if we're trying to deduce who could Nate step right into and beat which would then qualify him for a world title fight I'll drink to the Figueredo idea I am personally of the mind of taking a deep breath right Right now. If I'm in charge of 155 pounds, I gotta wait. I gotta wait until business is settled on January 23rd, right? I mean, if Connor goes down in an upset, it is going to change the division. And it particularly could open doors for Nate Diaz. That Connor versus Nate trilogy, I mean, that's the ace up the sleeve you could throw on the table at any time. You're not likely to throw it out there in the near future if Connor beats Poirier and then draws into a world title fight, which is a piece of the equation that we were given through Dana White a number of days ago. Saying if Connor wins, he will then fight for a title against who yet to be determined. But I bring that to you because it, it seems to me premature to book something meaningful at 155 until we get through the 23rd. So if we're still left with this mystery of who could it be they're talking about for Nate and we still set out to try to solve this mystery and throw our own guesses out there, I tend to think the people that are telling me all of error, I mean, I get it. I get where that would be one win away. I get it. Maybe even more so than if, say, Nate was to take on Gaethje. Not that that's a speculated fight. I'm offering for you another top guy, but because Gaethje just lost, it's different. It would just, it would be different. Some people who didn't think it was Figueredo thought that it was Tony Ferguson. And the only reason I push back on Tony Ferguson is just knowing how Nate's mind works. To bring Nate down and have him going against a guy who got beat, I don't, I don't know. Nate, generally, it's got to be somebody red hot. Generally, it's got to be in a pay-per-view uh, position. Even if Nate and Tony got together, I could see that. 
I could see that in a co-main. They're fighting for three five-minute rounds. Very interesting matchup on paper. Let's just see where it goes. I think that the speculation is going to live for a little bit. I think myself, I'm going to wait to hedge on that division until business is settled on January 23rd, at least if we're talking about top fighters going to top spots. I also think the people who are going to lose on the 23rd, two of the four are going to lose. Between Connor, Poirier, Gaethje, and Hooker, two of those four guys are about to get beat. I would offer for you their next fight is still going to be something meaningful. It's still going to be something special. We got to find out who those two are. It seems the only news this week is Dana White says, and then fill in the blank. And I don't blame anybody for that, by the way. It just, I can't remember a time that MMA has been this quiet. By the way, we're on the horizon of historic events. The debut on ABC, by the way, which let me remind you, okay, three o'clock Eastern time. So free TV. I mean, this is a huge moment, not to mention it's Holloway versus Cater. I'm giving you just a friendly reminder, but don't forget three o'clock, 12 o'clock if you're out here Pacific like I am. So in the spirit of Dana White says he was sharing a story that uh, Paulo Costa and his team, Paulo's team, have been, and I quote, terrorizing Dana, which means they've been lighting up his telephone trying to get a fight with Robert Whitaker. Now, where this becomes interesting to me is a couple of things. First off, I love that match, and I know you guys do too, right? They're ranked number one and they're ranked number two, but neither is the champion. And even though Adesanya has left the weight class, there's no inclinations that an interim championship is going to go up for grabs. Now, I bring that to you in the spirit of if you're Paulo Costa and you're doing everything you can, including leveraging the phone number of Dana White, you've done everything. That's your last resort, right? I mean, that's the nuclear option ultimately when you actually start calling in a favor. Why? What do you want to fight Whitaker so bad for? If it's not for the championship, if you've already got the ranking one and two, I don't know who's one and who's two, don't even know where I would go to find out, but one of them is ranked one and one of them is ranked two. So it seems as though even on this mythical piece of paper, you've already achieved what you can achieve why are you going to Dana? Why am I hearing about this from Dana? I know Paulo Costa since 2014. I've known him six years. This is the first I've heard of it. Paulo Costa could get a hold of me, the biggest voice in this space. He could have me come to you guys, the biggest audience in this space. Why am I just hearing that Paulo wants to fight Whitaker from Dana? Why did Paulo not come to you? Why did he not come to the... That's how you get a fight that you want. After you do that and you're getting a great reaction and social media is lighting up and the media loves it and the publicly audited comment section and the publicly audited YouTube section and the publicly audited Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter sections are all supporting your premise, that's when you take it to Dana. Why is he going to Dana and I'm just hearing about it now? Not to mention, it's not as though you get a big pat on the back. If one of them is ranked one and one of them is ranked two and they've never met up before, I mean, are you guys with me? This is a little bit of a weird one. When you go to Dana, it's to get one that's off the board. It's to get one that nobody else has seen. It's to sell him and present him of an idea. All the while, you really trying to get what you, what you want, which you're hoping he doesn't see through, which was uh, the easiest opponent for the biggest paycheck. This sounds like some really heavy lifting by Paulo Costa. He wants to fight Robert Whitaker. Did he think that was going to be for an interim championship? Is that the play? I'm asking a question. If that was the play and he and that was the big guys, right? The great magician, it's always look at this hand so you don't see what this hand's doing. If his play was to go to Dana and quote unquote terrorize him and his team to try to get a fight with Whitaker because he was trying to be ahead of the curb and thought it would be for an interim championship, fair game. 
game. He's not out of bounds any way that you do it. I'm only questioning why would you go to, why would you want to keep that a secret? This is a fight promotion. If you have words or a call out against a former champion of the world, by all means, say your piece. Don't do it quietly. The squeaky wheel gets the green. This fight had absolutely no momentum. None. Zero. Screeching halt. Dana has now brought it to people's attention. I'm now bringing it to the biggest audience in the space and I won't be the only one. A number of other people will too. Why? Because that's how you get a fight. You don't do it quietly. You do it loudly, which is the way you should have done it the first time. Shemayev and Leon Edwards have a date. It's going to be in March. Great. Welcome to old news, right? I mean, in all fairness, a little hard to get excited for a fight that we already got excited for, dimmed down, got excited for a second time, dimmed down, and got excited for again. I'm My excitement is equal. I'm not less excited. I'm happy that it's happening, but I think it's a closer look at that division. I can't remember in recent memory, and definitely not in present time, a division as confusing as 170 pounds is right now. If somebody was to ask me, Chael, do you predict that Chemayev will fight for a championship within 2021? My prediction would be yes. And don't forget, he has two different weight classes. It's still unclear. Is he a 70-pounder or is he an 85-pounder? He's about to hold a very big ranking at 170 if he gets past Leon. Big if. Tremendous. But that's probably a clue for us that he's going to stay at 170. I'm completely fine with that. I don't think a guy has to bounce back and forth, even though I did enjoy the gimmick while it lasts. When I say I've never seen a weight class more confused guys. Let's juxtapose this against 145 pounds up into the night Amanda and Cyborg fought. Until Amanda Nunes went up and took on Chris Cyborg. Prior to that, if you were a female at 145 pounds and you simply raised your hand, you were now the number one contender and you were going to be fighting Cyborg for a world championship on a main event of pay-per-view. That is not to put anyone down and that is not to put anybody over. That is a simple commentary on the lack of competitiveness within a division. I bring that to your attention because it's the most recent example I have to put against 170 right now, which is completely competitive. Yet we don't seem to have two guys that want to fight one another. 170 pounds right now is as hard as 170's ever been. There's never been an era of 170 quite as loaded as it is right now. And we have a hard time getting two guys to fight each other. Don't forget, even on Chemayev and Leon, that fight was resisted repeatedly until it wasn't. Uh, Leon's side was finally told, if you win this, you will fight for a championship. We've been told that, whether that's accurate or not, but that's a big gun that you have to bring out to draw somebody to the table. We've got Colby and Masvidal doing who knows what between the two of them. They've been in the octagon one time in the last year. Whatever's going on there, you've got Ponzanibo, who I believe is a willful participant, but for some reason has just not caught the imagination of the media. You then, of course, have Burns, who's getting ready to take on Usman, but it still leaves you with what is Woodley up to, and if even if you're telling me Woodley's not a top contender, he still matters within the division. Nobody is calling him out. Neil Magny appears to be busy with Kiesa. Neil Magny gets a pass on everything I just talked about. On anybody at 170 who's trying to duck and dodge and not do hard things, okay, with one exception, which is Neil Magny. He's willing to do anything with anybody. But I just bring that to you because it, it is very different, isn't it? I mean, if you were to look back at 145 where you had a lack of competitiveness and you could become a championship contender by raising your hand and it was hard to get people to even do that, now you've got 170 where it's iron on top of iron, but it's very hard to get some of these matches together. I think that there are better candidates at 170 to be in instant elimination and or number one contenders matches. I think that there are better candidates than Shemayev versus Leon, but there's no 
nobody else that signed. People who have been making the Ponzini argument forever. I'm not against that idea. But who is his next opponent? Who has he called out and who has called him out? Masvidal said, I want to fight Usman. I learned enough on short notice in this fight to know what it takes to beat him. I'm in for that storyline. Let's give Masvidal a full training camp and see what happens. But who is he willing to go through in the meantime? Colby has been absent for a year. Always a great choice for number one contender, but he's going to need to compete with somebody in the short term. I mean, do you see what's going on at one set? It's just a very bizarre division. Then one of the biggest stars at 170 pounds, Nate Diaz, who has removed himself from the discussions, is now reportedly coming back, but going to do it in a different way. I mean, have you ever just stared and examined from just stand back and look at 170 pounds? I don't know that I've ever seen anything quite like this. The dum-dums in sports will always try to tell you something while thinking they're fooling you. It, it's really difficult to watch an athlete. Now, an athlete as a whole, and I, I feel that I get a pass for insulting athletes because I am one. I, I feel like it's okay if I come out and say, but if, if, you put the, if you put their heads together, you're gonna form a rock pile. And you could pick from any sport. I mean, they're just not the smartest guys, but they always wanna be, and they always wanna come out and try to fool you. And the dum-dum the of the day award goes to man Pacquiao. Now, Manny Pacquiao says he wants to fight Conor McGregor because he wants the experience of fighting a mixed martial arts fighter. Look, if Manny Pacquiao came out and said, I want to fight Conor McGregor, and then had a hard stop. Manny has never sold fights. He has never been a good promoter. He's never been excited. He's been damn good at what he does, and he represented an entire culture, and he did such a good job that he made it to mega fights. But he's never been good at fooling anybody or pulling the wool over your eyes. And we as the audience are willing to suspect suspend reality, but it has to be a two-way street, right? It's contractual. I will suspend reality, part with my time and money, but you have to entertain me. Even if you want to lie to me, it has to be entertaining enough that I can set it aside and I'm willing to accept it. Pacquiao has come out and said, I want to I want the experience of fighting a mixed martial arts fighter. Now, never in his career has he tried to dupe anybody. He's been painfully boring, but he has a big segment, a big population, he always ends up in a meaningful spot. I mean, in all fairness to Pacquiao, this is the story of his career. Even when he was opposite Floyd Mayweather, which was said to be the boxing event of the century, it was a one-man show. Floyd did everything. Manny did nothing, including once the bell rang. This is just the truth. And this is as a Pacquiao fan. This is just the truth. I am overly annoyed that he would come out and say, I want the experience of fighting an MMA fighter. Come out and say, I want the money. Come out and say, I want the attention. Come out and say, I want a guy who's done this one time unsuccessfully. I've done this in my entire life. I think it's an easy fight, and I think I deserve an easy night. Anything resembling the truth. I want the experience of fighting an MMA fighter. Why fight? Why stop there, Manny? Why not fight a soccer player while you're at it? Why not see what Usain Bolt's doing and say, oh, I just wanted the experience of fighting a track guy? Uh, why not take on Triple H and say, I wanted a pro wrestler? I mean, do you see how this game never ends? Do you, do you see how it's silly and stupid and there's no chance that Manny Pacquiao ever for one second has ever laid in bed at night and dreamed about fighting an MMA fighter? If he said, I want to fight MMA, we're having a different conversation. We're patting him on the back. We're going, oh my goodness, I'm very light on this idea. I think you're doing it for a headline, but full respect for you. The punches and the kicks and the unified rules. Yes, I could see how that could be something different, Manny. I could see how that would be interesting to you. I could see how that training would be fresh and new and less mundane than what you're used to. But it's not what he said. He wants to box his sport. He wants the experience of doing it with an MMA fighter, who, by the way, has to specifically be named Conor McGregor and has to specifically come with a $50 million paycheck. Imagine you were Conor McGregor and you go, okay, great. I can get some run out of that too. Manny has 
a big audience. He's going to bring something. Let's go fight Manny. Just imagine that. You give Manny what he wants. Do you know what Manny's going to do to help you promote that fight? Do you know what Manny has ever done to help himself to promote a fight? Collectively, if you took every great idea that Manny's ever had and put them all into one basket, do you know what you would have in that basket? And I'll remind you before you answer that question, any number times zero is still zero. And I kind of like Manny Pacquiao. I must tell you, I was in Las Vegas one time and I was having dinner at a Benihana. You guys have those? Benihana is a Japanese restaurant, but you'll sit with strangers. Like there's a big grill and whoever comes, they'll just sit you. A little bit awkward. In fairness, I don't like that, but yeah, you should be able to get your own table. But that's what they do. I'm there with my wife and there's two guys having a conversation about John Jones versus Anderson Silva. Those two are going to fight. But before that fight can happen, John Jones has to win his next fight, which was against me. They're having this conversation and I'm sitting there. I finally have to stop them, right? Because they're all picking Chael's going to get beat up. I finally have to stop because I'm with my wife. I finally have to say, hey guys, by the way, this is a little awkward. Oh my gosh, we're so sorry. And they give me two tickets to Manny's fight with Man Marquez. Marquez, part four. Remember when those guys fought four times? Pacquiao beat him, Pacquiao beat him again, Pacquiao beat him again, yet they still booked a fourth one. And then Marquez Jr. shows up all juiced out of his mind and knocks Pacquiao, not only knocks Pacquiao, knocks him out of the ring. I was at that fight. I was at that fight because I was insulted by Team Pacquiao, who to make good on the insult, offered me two tickets. So I like them. I like Pacquiao. In full disclosure, because it was his team that gave me the tickets, this guy, Manny, you've never had a good idea. And now coming out and trying to dupe the audience, you, Manny Pacquiao, who would have to have a friend help you on a spelling test if you came across the word Pacquiao, are now going to try to fool the audience? Really? Really? Jordan Burroughs won. That's my takeaway. Jordan Burroughs won. Listen, this match had nothing to do with who can have more points than the other guy before time runs out. It didn't. This had to do with legacy. This had to do with proving a point. This had a. This had to do with putting your foot down and saying, I'm the man, the end. And in that regard, I mean, David Taylor was up against it in all fairness. I mean, he's got to go out there and tech Jordan Burroughs. In many ways, he has to tech Jordan Burroughs to prove this point. Now, you have to give Taylor his props because an American to beat Jordan Burroughs on American soil is so incredibly unheard of and is so few and far between, not to mention this was also the boogeyman in David Taylor's closet. I mean, one American that, that, that would keep Taylor up at night was Jordan Burroughs, but you have to understand this from a perspective of if this is about who can stand their ground and show that they're the man, guys, we know that size matters. We understand that. But we were reminded of it on the night that Burroughs took on David Taylor. We were reminded of that point when Joey McKenna took on Seth. Seth Gross. I do not know who the better wrestler is between McKenna and Seth Gross, but neither do you. Because what we saw wasn't a match about wrestling and skill and strategy. We had a size discrepancy. And so it reminded us once again that yes, size matters. There's a tipping point. We're having 10 or 12 pounds of iron, of good, solid, mu- the way McKenna's got it, right? Of good, solid muscle is just, it's going to be a problem and it's going to be too big of a problem. So we were reminded of it that night, but there was a lesson there. There was a very good lesson to remind that size matters. An hour later, you have Taylor and you have Burroughs on the mat. The weight for that match was officially 189 pounds, of which David Taylor lost some weight to make. That's his weight class. We could guess that he weighs about 200 pounds. Be a very good guess. Makes the weight of 189. Jordan Burroughs weighed in at 181. So we know that Burroughs is way under the weight. We know that David Taylor is going to weigh more than the weight. Nothing wrong with any of it, but we we now have proof quantifiable proof of a size discrepancy 
by the way, to compare that to McKenna, the right kind, right? The right, David Taylor, there's no fat on the bone. He's the right kind of size. When these two walk out there and when they shake hands, your eyes are telling you the same story that the scale did. These guys don't weigh the same thing. So when you're in that kind of a spot, much like McKenna did with Gross, if McKenna would have had a knockdown drag out with Gross, it would have been, even if he got his hand raised, it would have been a knock against McKenna. There's no insult to Gross. Gross took a challenge. Gross stepped up. He put it on the line. There was just too much man. I bring that comparison for you because this isn't a talking point. This is proof, and it happened in the same evening. So when Taylor goes out and wrestles Burroughs, this is 4-4. The final score is 4-4. Criteria call gives the match to David Taylor. I don't disagree with any of it, and that is a tremendous win, and I am not trying to be the skunk at the garden party. I'm just telling the other side of the coin that if you watch that match and you were come, come away with who is the hero of the night, who stepped in and was hard, who stood up, who fought back, who stood their ground. You have to give ever bit as much credit to Jordan Burroughs as you do to David Taylor. David Taylor overcoming Burroughs, okay? That wasn't who can win between two world champions at this weight class on Flo's mat. That's not what that was. That is, can David Taylor beat a guy who everybody tells him he can't beat? Can David Taylor, who's a member of Team USA, beat the captain of the US team? Can David Taylor go out and stop a guy who had stopped David before. That's what Taylor had to overcome. This wasn't about ankle picks and single legs and snap downs. This was about a mental battle. Can I beat somebody who the whole world, who I trust, has told me I can't beat or not? Yes, he did. He passed the test. Incredible job. Jordan Burroughs to stay in that match. Jordan Burroughs, who was hunting him down, who was pushing him backwards. Anytime you default. And as wrestlers, we've all done this at some point. And so we will all agree, even if the match worked out in our favor, we will still concede a terrible strategy to eat up clock is giving up points. If you get to a point in the match where I no longer need to score points to beat this guy, I just have to beat the clock. And you start giving up points as a way of eating up clock. It's a terrible strategy. It's the one that Taylor went with. It worked out. The clock ran out. The criteria had it. Again, I'm not trying to take away from Taylor, but in all fairness, you got to give that night to Burroughs. There is no way to look at that, talk about legacy, talk about who is the best, and come away looking at the size discrepancy, and you've got the smaller guy chasing down the bigger man. you got the smaller guy trying to win this match, trying to close this out. By the way, there was something baffling, at least for me, that happened in that match, which was Jordan Burroughs changed elevation, went for some kind of a shot, we'll call it a double A. He changes elevation, he's down on both knees, and he stops. And not only does Jordan stop, and he, he like wilted into a ball, pulled his elbows onto the match, not only does Jordan stop, there was a millisecond where Taylor even stopped. Where even Taylor realized, hey, something's amiss here, regathered himself. Oh, wait a minute, it's a chance to score, and then spins around behind him. But there was a moment where Jordan stopped, David felt the stop, us, the audience, see the stop, and two points go up on the board. I have no problem with the two points. What I'm telling you is baffling from where I'm sitting is those two points were then argued against by Coach Brian Snyder. And the flow team who was commentating this, Bader and Pyle, said something to the effect that if there is an injury and the referees don't catch the injury in time and a score happens after that injury that you can go back and wipe those points out. I did not know that. I still don't know that to be true. I have never seen this before. I have never seen that contested. I am unaware of anything where somebody can say, ow, and then whatever points happen before the referee blows the whistle can be wiped off the board. I don't know how all of that works, but it is a, 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 a real part of the story because there was two points there that I think we can all in 
fairness say, were not earned. Jordan Burroughs was not down on his knees for Taylor to snap him down and spin behind because Taylor faked him, snapped him down and spun behind him. I think we can agree that Jordan Burroughs chose to do something, something happened, Taylor capitalized and got two points. I bring that to you because if you're willing to say that you saw what I saw, then you're also acknowledging you have a 4-4 score that went to criteria with two mystery points going to the guy who got his hand raised. All of a sudden, things start locking, looking even better for Jordan Burroughs. I mean, in all truth, for JB to take this, nobody wants to wrestle David Taylor. Nobody's going to walk out there and put it on the line against David Taylor. Yazdani is the Olympic champion, does not want to wrestle David Taylor. He will. If the bracket says he has to, you know what I'm saying? Jordan Burroughs went out and did this. Gave up the weight, still had as many points as the other guy. This is one guy's opinion. But if you're asking me to sit down and watch that match and then come back and tell a group of onlookers who was better, I'm going Burroughs. Worried about online security? The best way to protect yourself online is by using the privacy app IPVanish. IPVanish is a virtual private network, VPN for short, used on computers, tablets, and phones that secures your connection to the internet and protects your personal information. IPVanish helps protect you whenever you use public Wi-Fi, which is not always secure. When you use IPVanish, your personal data, like your emails, files, even your credit card and banking information, it's all encrypted, helping keep you safe from online thieves. How many times have you Googled something only to have the ad follow you across websites and on your social media channels? Well, that IP address is being tracked. Advertisers and hackers use it to keep tabs on you. With IP Vanish, your real IP address is hidden, helping keep your identity safe. And IP Vanish has a zero log policy, so they're not recording your internet activity. What you do online stays private online. When it comes to internet connections at home and on the go, I know I depend on IP Vanish. IP Vanish is rated 4.7 out of 5 by real customers on Trustpilot. If you care about your internet privacy and you want to get reliable online data protection, then head over to ipvanish.com slash jail. Plans start at $3.49 a month, which is a great price to secure all of your devices. All you got to do is go to ipvanish.com slash jail to start protecting yourself. We've got football, basketball, hockey, three MMA events, including Conor McGregor just this week. Guys, DraftKings, it's the leader in one-day fantasy sports, and they're here to put you in the center of the action with millions of dollars in total prizes up for grabs all week long. Get in on the action now to claim your free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when using code CHAIL during sign-up. Playing fantasy sports is simple. Just pick your lineup, stay under the salary cap, and see how your team stacks up against the competition. Feel the sweat like never before with a DraftKings fantasy sports lineup on the line every play pass score they mean so much more at DraftKings football fans even though the regular season is over there's no shortage of football action at DraftKings so head over to the app now to get in on the playoffs and for you MMA fans what more do you need in the next 10 days you're going to have Conor McGregor versus Poirier you're going to have Hooker versus Chandler and you're going to have Cater 
versus Holloway. Download the DraftKings Daily Fantasy app now. Use the promo code CHAIL, and for a limited time, new customers are going to get a free shot at millions of dollars in prizes this week. Don't miss out on this week's action. Enter the code CHAIL to get a free shot at millions of dollars in prizes with your first deposit. That's code CHAIL only at DraftKings. Make it rain. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you want to know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around the home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO. So we got a little bit of a Nate Diaz tease, right? It was stated that Nate Diaz, this is per Dana, is being offered a fight at 155 pounds. Should he win that fight, it could put him right into title contention. Okay, so while you're trying to digest that, while you're thinking about that, think about this. Dana's also predicting that we'll see Nate Diaz fight twice this year at 155 pounds. So now all you're left with is a guess and you have to do it in order. You have to do it in order of who could he possibly be fighting at 155 that with a victory would put him in a potential world title fight. Because look at the hammers you got here. Okay, we're talking about Connor. We're talking about Poirier. We're talking about Chandler. We're talking about Dan the Hangman. You've got Charlie Olives, who spoiled the party. And then you've got a list of other killers. I mean, you got Ally Quinton there. You got Paul Felder. What, we're just going to act like these guys don't exist? So who is it that Diaz could fight that would throw him right into contention? And the only two guys who are left available of the top guys are Gaethje and Oliveira. Now, we've been told as an audience that those two guys are going to get together, but that's not official. So it must be that Nate is going to fight either Gaethje or Oliveira if we're operating on the premise that one win could catapult him to a title fight. I'm hearing from other sources, I don't believe this to be true. Not if it's for a title contention. I'm hearing from other sources that the fight that Nate is being offered is Tony Ferguson. Now, any of those matches are great, and in particular order, Gaethje versus Nate, style-wise. Ferguson versus Nate, style-wise. In order, that's the way that that would go. Does a win over Ferguson catapult Nate into a title fight? I don't know. Feel free to have that conversation. But if that is the only evidence that we have and we're we're trying to hedge a bet and make an assumption, I'm going with no. I think that's a killer match. I I, I get the whole thing. I'm not being a wet blanket here. No. Would a win over Gaethje, I think that is more likely of the two. It would seem as a win over Oliveira, yes. We all shut up and we go home. It would just seem like to solve Dana's puzzle and doing it in order with the first step, who could Nate be going to fight that could make him a title contender. It would seem as though Oliveira. I don't want it to be Oliveira because I want Oliveira and Gaethje to fight. So when you do have the talk of Nate versus Ferguson, I'm not sure that solves uh, the problem of one of them goes into a main event. And maybe it does. It's very hard to see the future, right? It's very hard to see the future because if Nate and Ferguson fight, that's going to be front page on Sports Center. That's going to change everything. How much attention you can get to a fight does change what's on the line and where do you 
go from here with said fight. So it's hard for me to close my eyes and predict. I'm just not great at that. And I understand that that would be a big fight, but until it happened, it's hard for me to think that anybody's going to cut the line in front of the horses that are there, right? Connor, Poirier, the hangman, Chandler. And then you got Charlie Olives out there. And by the way, who's who's disrespecting Gaethje? Not to mention what the hell's Khabib doing? It's just, it's one of these things that I would love to hear your guys' opinion because it, it appears to be a big guess. And I'm not totally sure of why Nate would go to 155. I mean, it would seem to me that you'd have to do something special like Dana's alluding to, which is have it one match away, have it a contender's match, right? Nate's mind works differently. If you guys say, hey, Nate, go fight Ferguson. Everyone wants to see that they're all going to love it. I'm telling you right now without even picking up my phone and calling Nate, Nate is is going to say, no, I want a guy who's a a winning streak. And even if the UFC came back and go, yeah, but Nate, your last match, you lost. His last match, he lost. This is how we like to do it. Nate would say, I don't care. I don't care if I've lost 10 in a row. I want the I want the most successful, baddest dude in the world. Like his mind just works differently. Nate is likely to have an appreciation and a respect for Tony Ferguson that could make a little bit of potential for that. I'm just I'm stopping because I don't think it satisfies the clue that Dana gave us, which is it could be one win away from a championship. That's the part I'm getting stuck. And I also get stuck on the idea of Nate coming back to 155. Don't forget Nate's last fight at 170 sold out Madison Square Garden. Nate has proven he can do it at any weight class that he wants to do with that. Now hold that thought. Hold that thought. Because Dana also came out and said, I'm going to have a conversation with Khabib. And we were told a number of weeks ago that they had a meeting set up. Dana said, it's going to be a five-minute meeting. I'm going to ask him if he wants to fight. That's it. If he comes back and tells me no, we're done talking. If he comes back and tells me yes, I can then spread some ideas in terms of the who, what, when, why, and where. But it's going to be a real quick talk. Now, I appreciated that. I found that very refreshing. I found it very refreshing for a couple of reasons, which is one, Dana's not being rude to Khabib. He's showing respect to Khabib. He said, I'm not going to pressure this guy in anything. I'm not going to beg him to do anything. I'm not going to dangle a carrot, but I am going to talk. I realized what he said right when he retired, but that was on the cusp and the heels of a few very emotional things. And if some words were formed and came out of his mouth into a microphone, I'm not going to hold him accountable for it, right? And that's a real thing. I mean, Khabib could have, to Dana, and Dana, I forgive you for it, or he could do what he did and and said, I'm going to walk away and I don't want to come back. And No problem. We'll do exactly what you want to do. Just take a breather and tell me it one more time. Okay. In conjunction with this, stay on 155, guys. 155 is in the spotlight right now. 155 is in a major spotlight with a lot of questions that do largely have to do with what is Khabib's response to Dana in this five-minute talk going to be because now Conor McGregor is coming out. And Conor McGregor did have an opinion on Nate Diaz. And the, the opinion was very simple, which is if Nate and I fight again, I don't see any reason we wouldn't do it at 170. We fought twice at 170. We've split. If you're talking about a, tr- a trilogy, same, same. He then furthered the thought by saying, however, if there's belts or contenderships or reasons specifically to do it at 150, 55, I'm all ears. And I will tell you, I have heard major rumblings, as have you, that Connor has been secretly a pain in the ass. We've all heard that secretly Connor has been a real headache to deal with. I can only tell you what I see. And what I see and I hear from Connor, and albeit there appears to be something we're not, but if I'm to judge Connor, what I hear and what I see, this guy is a, a breath of fresh air. I mean, going all the way back to January 20th of last year where he defeated Cowboy Cerrone in the fourth largest gate of all time 
interviewed by Errol Hawani in his locker room afterwards and said, I want four fights this year. This is one. I want three more. And everyone was calling him out. I remember Paul Felder being cage side calling this fight and Connor pointed to Felder and called him out right there. And they said, well, what about Khabib? And he Khabib's fine. Well, what about Masvidal? I mean, they kept trying to throw him questions waiting for him to flinch. And Connor said, that's all fine. I just three more times this year. I got a little off track in my, my, my per, uh, personal life, my private life. This has gotten me back on track. Everything's going great. Keep me busy. Okay. I mean, I thought it was being very candid and very refreshing. I only bring that to you because we're being told through sources and rumors that he's hard to deal with behind the scenes. I don't know a damn thing about it. All I know is the things that he's saying. And even now, and the reason I bring this to you, even now when he's saying, yes, there's a big fight with Nate, that fight should be at 170. But then he throws in, if, if somebody else wants to do it at 55, we'll do it at 55. That sounds like a very helpful attitude to me. I do think there was a miss in 2020. I think the miss was not giving Connor those three other fights or two of those three fights or one of those fights. I think if we look back and we were fair with ourselves, that was a miss. New year, new start. Let's not make the same mistake twice. Cody Garbrandt called out Aldo. That's interesting for a lot of reasons. First off, yes, please on the match. Yes, please, sooner the better. Second off, full respect to Garbrandt. You're going to go call for one of the hardest fights you can possibly find, full respect, but question mark, which is there was all this talk that Garbrandt was going to go to 125, go right into a title fight. Now, I understand how quickly things change. All of a sudden, Figueredo goes out. He fights Brandon, fight of the year candidate. Dana announces a rematch. Lesson though, guys, major lesson. So many guys that think they're going to sit or they're going to wait or this is the biggest fight I'm holding all the cards I got all the power how quickly things change in MMA but I will tell you it looks as though the Moreno versus Figueredo fight is even stronger than perhaps has been advertised to us and that Cody Garbrandt has inside information on that I mean for Garbrandt to one not even be going to 25 two not talk about Figueredo and three staying at 35 and going after all that something must have happened something must have happened in terms of the information that we've all been told is exactly the way the information is, right? We get misinformation all the time. It's called negotiating. Athletes try to go and public, uh, publicly negotiate. Well, a little of that goes on on the other side of the desk too. This one, I would say Garbrandt, who's got his ear to the grindstone and is now not, not only not looking at that weight class, he's looking at Aldo. I mean, right, there, there's a few moving parts because there was pushback when Cody was talking about going down and, and people say, oh yeah, he's going to get an instant title shot. I was a little surprised that anybody would push back. Cody Garbrandt has the it fact. That guy's a main event, period. He's a star. He's got the look. He's got the talent. He's got the resume. Oh, by the way, he's got a former world champion. Okay. And Cody Garbrandt checks a lot of boxes, but some of the pushback on him going down and walking into a title fight against Figueredo purely had to do with the fact that he had never fought at the weight class. And logically, you're going to sound kind of good when you say it. Like, logically, that is a tough question for somebody to rhetorically uh, rebuke. It, the rhetorical skills are very limited. Inability to, to explain why somebody who's never been in a weight class becomes the number one contender of seven weight class. I get it. You're always going to have to do with that question. But the mere fact that Cody is now calling somebody out at 135, right? I mean, it looked as though he could solve that problem. He'd go right into a number one contendership. For goodness sakes, they said he was the number one contender without even having done it. I would have speculated that Cody is going to slide down to 125, either call for a fight or wait till his phone rings and just do a fight, of which would eat up a little clock, get us closer to Figueredo Moreno part two, and then Cody slides in. So what I'm attempting to guess is what in 
inside information does Cody have? It could be multiple things, including, look, you're, you're one away at two different weight classes. Which one are you more comfortable at? You're one win away at 35. So just go win, get a win at 35. You're going to go off to the winner of Aljo, Yawn. Maybe he was told that. Maybe he was told, look, we don't know what's going on at 125. And by the way, if Moreno gets the jump on Figueredo, we, we got to go run this thing a third time. And you're looking at calendar-wise at the end of 2021 to even have an opportunity, right? I'm guessing right now. I'm guessing, but I, I'm I'm close somewhere. Cody Garbrandt did not go out and make his move. He's a smart guy. Trust me when I, I know Cody. He did not make his move just on a whim. He did not call Jose Aldo out at 135 just because. He has some level of information where he then looked at the chessboard and started trying to maneuver. So I think that call-out tells us a few things. I think I think that calls a call-out really, if anyone should be happy about this, is Moreno. Moreno should be looking at it going, okay, Garbrandt's got inside information that I am getting the shot, shot with Figueredo, which was in question as recently as a week ago when Figueredo's called for a BMF lightweight belt against Henry Cejudo. I realized there wasn't legs to that, but it was enough to keep Moreno up at night. It was enough to keep Moreno going, man, what the hell's going on here? I thought it was me. It was enough that Dana had to come on the uh, on the back of it and say, for sure, without question, these two rematch sooner uh, rather than later. So there is something to digest here. Oh, and by the way, what a great fight. I haven't heard all those response. I know what it's going to be. It's going to be yet. Yeah, that is a awesome fight and very dangerous. Somebody's going down in that fight. That is not the kind of match that Garbrandt fans want to see Garbrandt in, right? Garbrandt fans don't want to see him in a shootout. That's a shootout. He just called for it. I'm a Garbrandt fan. I'm an Aldo fan in fairness, but I'm a Garbrandt fan. I want to see that fight. I had two takeaways watching the Taylor Burroughs card. And can you guys relate to this? Like, you think you know everything about wrestling. And whether you wrestled yourself and you think you learned every possible position or you're a fan or in conjunction, which is where I sit, fan and used to do it yourself. But you think there's nothing new. There's no new move. There's no new technique. I have seen it all. And I will tell you, I have thought that many times. And something new comes up. Some kid somewhere, somewhere in the world is innovating comes up with a new technique, but I saw one. I saw one that I want to bring to your attention. It was McKenna versus Gross. So, a fireman's carry, when I very first started wrestling, was all the rage. You might learn that on your very first day. Everybody was doing the fireman's carry, but after I wrestled for about three or four years, if you did a fireman's carry, you were doing junk technique. Fireman's carry is what they did in the 70s. It's what they did in the 80s. And people began to tease it. And that's true. I went eight or nine years without ever seeing a fireman's carry score. That includes practice. That includes tournaments that I was in or just watching. Never saw anybody score with a fireman's carry. And then all of a sudden, the carry made a comeback. And the reason the carry made a comeback is so much time had gone on where guys weren't working on it that the reverse effect of that is guys aren't working on defense to it. So now you get a whole new generation of wrestlers who's never worked to defend a fireman's carry. Okay, boom. Guy drops down, comes between the legs. I mean, it's a silly technique, but I bring that to you because it's a great example of how wrestling techniques will go in waves. What's in goes out, it comes back in. It's like bell bottoms. Okay. Now, any move in wrestling by principle that works or any sequence that works can also work in reverse. By example, a snap down to a double leg. I can snap you down. If you defend it, I can go to a double or I can go to a double. You take your hips back and I come up and I snap you down. Just by example, tie that in with a fireman's carry and tie that in to Joey McKenna doing this to Seth Gross. I have seen over the course of my 
my life, being a coach, being an athlete, and where I sit now as a fan. I have seen people go for a fireman's carry, they lose the arm. When you lose control of the arm, you now have a leg, primarily a single. Or you go for a fireman's carry, you drop to the leg, you lose the arm, you penetrate into a double. You hit a fireman's carry, you lose the arm, you rotate into a low single. I'm sure that makes a level of sense. I'm sure all of you have either done that or you have seen it. I bring this to you because McKenna did the opposite. McKenna hit a double. He lost the double. Seth sprawled out, stopped the momentum. McKenna, while still down on both knees and two legs, reaches up to an elbow, turned it into a carry. So I understand that the fundamental principle of wrestling, that if two moves work in a sequence, you can also reverse the sequence. Snap down to a double, double to a snap down. By example, I have never seen anybody go into a shot, get stopped, and then reverse the tape into a carry. It was a new move for me. I've seen the carry into a leg attack. I've never seen a leg attack where a guy comes back, McKenna did this and, and converted it to points. I thought I'd bring it to your attention because it was a cool move that I hadn't seen before. And by the way, because it was a, a scoring sequence, Flo slowed it down and happened to show it in slow-mo on replay or I never would have caught it. I, it was just it was just chaos when I first saw it. When they slowed oh my goodness, he turned a double leg into a carry instead of a carry into a double leg. Hold that thought. If any of you are Jaden Cox supporters, the best thing that you can do is to tease him. If you're a true Jaden Cox supporter, don't pat him on the back, go on social media, even if it's a dummy account, and insult him. Say he looks slow. Say he looks out of shape. Say he can't beat Kyle Schneider. Whatever it is. I don't know if I have seen anybody in recent time that gets motivated more by hate than Jaden Cox. And hate will do a little something to all of us. For some of us, it'll bring us down and it will ruin our day. For some of us, we will fight back and prove them wrong. Cox is the latter of the two. I've not seen anybody get so good and get so motivated. When you turn and ask him, what's the deal? And he goes, well, these guys were saying on Twitter that blah, blah. I mean, he gets affected by it. You never know what makes the greats tick, right? Like a guy with all those medals, Olympic medals, world medals, some of, some of them are yellow medals. What gets him up in the morning and what drives him? Not to mention, domestically, he is in the sights of the biggest match that USA Wrestling can put on. And by the way, they're going to put it on a minimum of twice in one day. I'm talking about Cox versus Schneider. That is right around the corner. But what motivates him to go up and do that, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, and I don't say this to be funny. If you love Jaden Cox, if you're a family member, if you're a friend, if you're a distant and you're a fan, you want to help that guy? Pick on it. It's what gets him up in the morning. All right, guys, I got to get to a weigh-in. If you want a little more of old Chael, tune into ESPN on all the platforms. We are going to be busy. We're going to be covering this thing from top to bottom. And make sure you're back here next week. I will talk to you all on Wednesday. Same Chael time, same Chael channel. You're welcome. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work, but you want to know what's easy? Bundling policies with GEICO. GEICO makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around the home. Go to GEICO.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's GEICO easy. Visit GEICO.com today. That's GEICO.com. 
Yeah, we talk hoops on Robert Ory's new podcast, The Big Shot Bob Pod. I would have loved to play with LeBron because if you get down, get open, get to where you're supposed to be, he's going to find you. Feel like he got robbed for MVP. But with Robert Ory, we cover the floor and we talk about everything. And so your youngest so, is a teenager. So he's yeah. not going to high school right now. He's doing everything via Zoom and he, Dad, can you help me? Nope, I'm running away. I'm running. <laughs> From the team that brought you the big podcast with Shaq, it's The Big Shot Bob Pod. Coming your way soon on the Podcast One app, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, LiveByLive.com, and everywhere you get your favorite podcasts.